0: Welcome to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you for joining us again. Uh, right off the bat, I kind of want to throw this out there. Uh, my guest today is someone I really enjoy talking with. Uh, we've talked to him a couple times before, Mr. John Champion of Mission Log fame. How are you doing, John? Hello. I'm Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Now... Uh, I say we've talked to him a couple times, but you might you guys might notice that there's only one episode so far previous to this that has uh, John Champion as a guest. And well, I kind of had a couple ways to go with this, and uh, I just decided to be upfront and blunt with everybody. Uh, we recorded this podcast uh, two three days ago. Yeah. And uh, local audio didn't capture or corrupted for some reason, and so now we are going to have. The exact same conversation again, uh, for your listening pleasure, and and I got to tell you, it was a fun conversation. I do not mind having that conversation one more time at all, but I figured, you know, formality wise, I'd let everybody know that that's what's going on. We don't hide anything here, so
1: yeah. I mean, look, me either. If the worst thing that happens to me all week is I get to talk about food on Star Trek twice, <laughs> then, then I'm having a pretty good week, uh, right? But, I mean, the podcast errors, technology errors, they happen to all of us. And um, yeah, and, and I think also we recorded uh, uh, partly to explain it, it was hot and both of our computers were acting terribly and we were just getting connection <laughs> errors like every possible thing that could go wrong did. So, right. So um, happy to be able to make it right this time.
0: <laughs> well, for all of you, again, like I always say, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. Or you can find us on our Anchor homepage, anchor.fm forward slash Fuel Your Fandom. Uh, also, seattlewaveradio.com. Click the banner link. You'll find us there. But, again, welcome back, Mr. John Champion. Thank you. I, I so, deeply appreciate it. So for anyone who may or may not have listened to that first podcast that we did, uh, John is the host of the Mission Log podcast for Roddenberry.com. Uh, and uh, he's been doing that for eight years now? Just about yeah, eight years?
1: I, it, it exactly. I think we're two weeks over the eight-year mark. We, we launched in early August of 2012 star trek las vegas
0: that's fantastic that's a yeah. lot and and what they do for y'all who might not know is they sit and they will watch an episode of star trek front to back uh obviously multiple times to get notes and and, and trivia and things like that but they will review the episode recap the episode and then pick it apart for its uh messages its meanings its uh thoughts and ideals and and discuss whether or not each episode uh, holds up to the test of time, either production quality-wise, script-wise, story-wise, whichever. And so it's something that I've become a rabid fan of. I've been... Uh, I jumped on board Mission Log in the middle of season... Uh, I want to say middle to beginning of season 4 of Deep Space Nine... Uh I listened to a few episodes to get caught up and, and to to brace myself for what I was getting into with talking with Mr. Champion here. And then uh what I decided to do is because Deep Space Nine is one of my favorite interpretations of Star Trek, I went back to the beginning uh and, and started with episode uh one, season one of uh Deep Space Nine. So it's been an, it's been a fun adventure kinda of catching up with uh where you are now, so. Right. Right. but I kind of think of you as an old friend now because I listen to your voice in the car as I drive every day now. So, uh,
1: You know, I, I usually tell... Funny, you know, we'll get emails from people who say, um, you know, I've listened to every episode or I've I've binged, you know, I found your show six months ago or a year ago and I listened to every episode and I just think that is entirely too much of me. <laughs> you know, that is entirely too much of what i have to say or my voice i can't escape it um so you actually had the luxury of turning it off
0: Uh, well see i'm the same way because i'm I'm a musician and so uh, when i when we go to like say instance we just recorded an ep recently Mm. and uh, the process of recording an ep if if you've never have you ever recorded music previous no okay so for me it's We have to let the drummer go. Then we have to let the guitar player go. And then we have to let the bass player go. And so we build up this track for me to ultimately sing on. And so everyone does their own tracks in isolation. And then the rest of it is through headphones. And so I got to a point where um, it was my turn to record one of the tracks. And instead of leaving the room or leaving the area like they usually do, the rest of my bandmates just kind of lined up. And we're just like sitting there watching me. And here I am, I got the headphones on, and nobody can hear me. And so I'm bellowing into a microphone at volume because that's what I'm hearing. Right. And they're all not hearing the music aspect of it, they're all just sitting there listening to me just. <laughs>
1: You bellow into a yeah. microphone individually
0: and, and right. they're just giving me the weirdest looks and it's like alright you guys are not allowed to sit there and and, and do my takes anymore but <laughs> you have to do enough of those where you know yeah, I truly get tired of hearing my own voice most of the time too we, so. we
1: are all our own worst critics oh and, that's a fact um, yeah yeah sometimes uh, well placed <laughs> being our own worst critics but that's true you know, yeah. sometimes it's
0: uh uh imposter syndrome setting in and telling you you're no good at things either too so you gotta kind of take it with a grain of salt
1: yes yeah you know it's funny i mean uh 366 episodes of mission log and 118 episodes of mission log live and 61 episodes of the sub i mean there's a lot of podcasting that i've done for roddenberry and I, i still to this day I don't know if nervous is the right word, but there's, there's something in my head every single time you start a recording for Mission Log where I just think like, oh, I don't know how this is gonna go. Oh, I, I, I don't know. What, what if I don't get <laughs> to the notes that I really get to? What if I sound like an idiot? What if I, it, that's still somewhere in the back of my head. It should just be super easy. The good news is as soon as you turn on the mic and as soon as you get going, you feel much better
0: right uh, you're able to that, zone past it and
1: yeah yeah but it, it, it's like it, you know it's like somebody who's done a broadway show 500 times but they're backstage before the curtain goes up and they still get nervous and that's oh yeah yeah but but that, that, that means you're it means you're invested in it it means you care
0: you care yeah and i gotta tell you it's like getting ready to do this one today just because i know we've had this conversation previous is just like rattling off in my brain and i was trying to think of a way to make it not seem disingenuous and not seem scripted and all this that and the other thing but uh one of the things that i've noticed and i'm sure anyone who's listened to mission lock notices is you have not just in your personal life but in in star trek in your analysis of star trek a disposition to examine food You, you love really you, you love food. I get that from you and I love that. And and one of the coolest I, things is is every time there's an episode with any kind of food product or beverages in it, you're breaking those down. Okay, here's what this is. Uh here's what it's trying to be, here's what it actually is. And and here's why it had to be this way. And I've never seen anyone give so much thoughtful examination to food on Star Trek, which kind of led me to wanting to do this episode because like you well not like you you you're you've got a very erudite taste in food and i am kind of the beer budget version of that <laughs> uh, as as a cook and as a, a culinarian myself i end up just having to create the dishes that i want to try well, look um, it's
1: very important to point out though that I, I i consider myself gourmand i love low end to high end low brow to high brow i love it all the same What what i want the uh, authenticity is a terrible, terrible word. What I want is the the inspiration and the love behind that food. If you're making a, you know, dollar fifty hamburger, like <laughs> make that the best dollar fifty hamburger you can make. If you're making beef Wellington, make that the best beef Wellington you can make. So I, I you know, I seek out. Uh, I love to travel, and, and I will build uh, a vacation around food. Um, and one of the most important things when doing that is to seek out you know, the vendors, the local dives, the places that um, truly give you a sense of, of where you're headed. My favorite times was a few years ago. Uh, I got a group of friends here in LA who love to cruise and it's very easy coming out of Port Los Angeles to just pop on a ship for a weekend and, and get away. Not right now, we are recording during a pandemic, but you know, <laughs> b- before these uh, weird times, in the before times, in and the before, uh, yeah, hopefully again someday. Uh, but you know, we set out to do a taco tour of Puerto Vallarta, Ooh. and we must have we must have hit ten or fifteen different places that night. I don't think anything that we tried cost more than about thirty cents. And it was great because we just we did our homework during the day. All right. Locals go. And we we kind of mapped it out, went back to the ship, shower, clean up. And then after dark, went out and hit these places. And it was magnificent. It was uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, You know, just, uh, 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 you know, food inspection be damned. Uh, That's not (laughs) a thing. You know, you're you're not looking for an A or B rating. You know, when it's somebody literally just opening up the door to their house and out a cooler and a hot plate and making a taco for you there. So yes, I I love food and a lot of trays and just personalies are built around food. So uh I, I try to bring that to mission log too.
0: Right. W and, and it's a very uh Tony Bourdain kind of thing to do, which uh uh I know you you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain, I am as well. Uh, watching him go to a country and, you know, you, you figure someone uh, on that level would be focusing, like you say, on the uh, the higher end places but he gets down and dirty and uh, street vendors and, and like, I want to say it was Hong Kong he was on a boat just going around to all the different uh, boats that had uh, merch and, and everything too and it's just yeah. it's an amazing yeah. thing to watch And uh, but yeah, so Discovering all of these types of food that they would use on Star Trek is uh, kind of a, a hobby of yours, if in the background, and, and it's something that I've latched onto too, as uh, a, a fellow gourmand as well. Uh, I like to listen to you wax philosophic on all things food. Now, what we talk, what I hear you talk about all the time on, uh, with a TOS in regards to TOS, they had a lot of uh, what you might want to call. Uh, food cubes. Yes. They had yes. multicolored food cubes. And I, I don't know if those were like dyed fruit or. Yeah,
1: it was typically apples. Really, oh. it was typically just apples cut into
0: cubes and then
1: dyed with food coloring. Right. Um, and it's it, it serves a couple of purposes. I mean, TOS, first of all, uh, shot in color. And there's, you know, RCA in 1966 trying to sell color TV. Um, but also not necessarily great reception or resolution. So the the color palette on Star Trek is specifically designed to pop on a color TV, but again, a pretty primitive to our standard color TV. right. So you've got these scenes of food where you just need something that, uh, first of all, looks alien, looks different. Oh, that doesn't look like the bologna sandwich I just ate. (laughs) So you have to get that across. Then you have to get across something that is visible on screen, so Mm -hmm. you can actually tell what it is uh, under not necessarily the best of conditions. Um, And then the third thing, I think, is that it really expresses this, like, ideal of what does... What does food look like when you're extrapolating, okay, Star Trek is the space program 300 years in the future. Mm-hmm. So so what does that look like? Everybody who's in Star Trek in 1966 and, and up through 1969, they are right there in the thick of it. They are right there when, uh, you know, the, the Gemini program becomes the Apollo program. Uh, they are right there when they see... What the astronauts are eating, they get excited about Tang, being the drink of the future, <laughs> and and space food space sticks, space Tang, being, yeah, being the food of the future. So, the show then is reflecting that, and now it, it that changes quite a bit when we get out of that '60s space race era, changes quite a bit. But I think for the time, it sort of hurt what they're uh, what they're showing on screen
0: yeah and then I agree and like you say they have to do something that pops on screen which is why I think all the, the uniforms were solid color mm-hmm. uh, you know except for Kirk's with his shimmering gold tunic or whatever that was <laughs> yes. but uh, uh, I, I, I know that that's definitely a part of it and I know that uh, they were modeling it a lot like you say after the uh, space race and, and the foods like Yuri Gagarin had to eat out of a tube and very much emulating that while also trying to stay uh, faithful, as you said, to the, to the alien nature of what's going on. And I know that a lot of, uh, in in TOS era specifically, it seemed to be a lot of, not so much focus on food, but focus on beverage. And in specific, they had a lot of like, uh, and Brandy, or Romulan Ale, or... Uh, I know there's a few more that I'm missing. Aldebaran whiskey and yes, um, very colorful, very bright, very fancy decanters. And right. uh, uh, was it George Dickel decanter for the uh, Sarian brandy?
1: Yeah, I mean that that was an off-the-shelf item, not not especially common, but it was something that that you could buy in 1966, and it and, and then it sort of started this little collector's market after the fact. And I want to say that Dickel even reproduced it at some point. But it's this, you know, uh, kind of smoked glass with this long curved neck. And then they would put it in like a little leather harness thing to hold it. It's really cool looking. And, um, you know, it looks alien
0: enough. Yeah,
1: alien enough. And it's rare that Star Trek uses an off-the-shelf item. Uh, That would have been more common in the 60s than, than it is now. Uh, but that was kind of a perfect thing became very iconic mainly because you had uh evil kirk in uh mirror mirror downing the whiskey and uh you know that just indicates what a what a bad guy he is but i think whether (laughs) it's food or drink the important thing is that it kind of um it makes the characters and their experience very relatable you know when you set things too far forward when you set things and make them too alien you kind of run the risk of then having a separation from the the human story that's happening as well the
0: the relatability goes downhill
1: yeah yeah, but food is and having an alcoholic beverage is very relatable (laughs) so um, because it's or you know it, it, it brings along with it all these sort of different contexts and different meanings so like yeah there's scotty and and the guy from by any other name downing drink you know drinking each other under the table and downing drinks and then the aldebaran whiskey uh which the at the time they just said it's green so they just say <laughs> hey it's in a bottle it's green let's drink it and then that's when scotty busts out his very special 200 year old bottle of scotch um which I, I don't think we ever got a brand on that, but it was in this distinctive kind of like squared off bottle. Um, and then Romulan Ale, of course, gets many, many references through Star Trek. A- and even up to now on the animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, <laughs> I Romulan, saw that. Yeah, Romulan Whiskey uh, is the the new thing. which Also still blue. Uh, also blue, yeah, yeah. Uh, Which is very cool because, uh, you know, Romulus is a planet with a lot of people. They have more than one type of alcohol. (laughs) That's uh, that's perfectly okay that they have more than one type of alcohol.
0: Right. And and, and so uh, all the way back into TOS, that was kind of our biggest uh, exposure to food and beverage. Now, when we move our way forward uh, into, and I know that some of the movies were filmed concurrent with uh, Next Gen and things like that, but uh we get things like in star trek uh six on discover country we see they have a full galley and you know there's mashed potatoes and turkey and yeah. somehow he phases a pot of mashed potatoes without phasing the mashed potatoes i don't understand that, how that, that worked, was but.
1: weird right because by that logic if you use the same phaser on a person what their the skin, skin just goes and away disappears <laughs> and, uh, i mean yeah that's that's very weird um yeah so that that interesting questions about the technology within their universe Uh, because you have reference on the original series to the food synthesizers they're not replicators they are synthesizers so using presumably some some matrix ingredients that then get reformed into whatever it is you ask for uh, mm-hmm. So in tomorrow is yesterday, you know the, the 20th century pilot is amazed to get a chicken sandwich, and and, and there it is, you know, um, it, or even in the trouble with tribbles, Kirk orders food, but then what he gets out of the synthesizer is covered in <laughs> tribbles because they What's made their way into the machinery uh, that would produce this food. It's a very different thing from next gen, which we'll talk about in a little bit the replicators that are actually creating out creating matter out of energy that is then something you can eat but star trek 6 as you mentioned the, there is a couple of important food moments there one is that we see a galley so a place where people are actually turning ingredients into food um, as opposed to just using the uh, synthesizer that presumably they have on board Right, Re- reference that back to TOS in the episode Charlie X, where Kirk calls up the chef and uh, and the chef is amazed because their synthesized meatloaf has turned into real turkeys, for Thanksgiving. Uh, that's something that Charlie X managed to do with his, uh, his sort of Q-like powers that he had. Uh, so there was a chef on board then who was actually you, you know manually creating food in addition to the synthesizer and then similar thing in Star Trek 6 you have an actual kitchen an actual galley where this stuff is happening and in Star Trek 6 you have the big meeting with the Klingons because right. something that has not changed in 300 years is that you have a diplomatic function that comes along with dinner and it's a lot of I like it's an impressive iconic scene, but it also feels like they cheaped out a little bit because they just took a lot of ingredients and dyed it all blue, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I thought I saw like, some
0: glass noodles in there at one point.
1: Yeah, you have a lot of noodles in you have of like, I don't know, crustacean heads of some sort <laughs> or another in there. So, yeah, uh, they, they sort of went with the same singular color for, for all of it. Uh, and and then when, whenever you can in Star Trek, you drop in a thing like a dragon fruit or a hand or something like, just to have some exotic looking right. fruit in there too.
0: Drop durian in there. I want to see what that ha- does under the hot lights.
1: <laughs> oh God! You just you would have wait that set. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and 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 even going so far like now when they went back and did Enterprise, which was of course a prequel to uh, TOS era Star Trek. Uh, they had a galley on uh, Enterprise as well, the NX-01 Enterprise as well, yeah. uh, where they had a, a chef who was working with whatever they had to make meals for them as well. And, and we didn't really get to see him until yeah, we, the tail end, which is Chef Riker, of course. Yeah, uh. yeah, right. So,
1: yeah, it, it was fun. We we never saw a chef. They just refer to chef. You never saw him. But it was cool that he had this running gag about a guy that you never saw. But then there in the in the deck simulation, it's Riker from the Pegasus uh, uh, storyline, then you know inserting himself into the story. So that that was cool. And I remember even at the time there was speculation like, oh, what if Bill Shatner did a cameo as the chef on Enterprise, which to me is just way too on the nose so if you're gonna do a crossover like that say what you will about these are the voyages which was the finale of enterprise a lot of problems with that episode but if you're gonna work in Riker, why not why why not allow him to be chef for that part of his story just right because he wouldn't
0: really fit in as a random crew member anywhere else right it would have to be someone we've not seen before yeah, exactly. To, to kind of air that believability yeah. to it. so.
1: But what I do like on Enterprise is that it, it's sort of like I, I think Star Trek uh, mimics our own relationship with food over the 20th century and into the 21st century, where food technology always has an influence on how we eat. So you go back to the late 19th century, can food. Uh, starts to take off shortly after frozen food starts to take off and by the 50s and, and into the 60s, you know, canned ingredients start to show up on a lot of higher end recipes, right? But then you go a little further, uh, get into the 80s and uh, particularly Nouvelle Cuisine and then the 90s and beyond. And, you know, there's the return to the slow food movement. Like, let's get back to the actual ingredients. We understand where the ingredients are sourced and we're cooking those. And then canned food becomes sort of uh, uh, just a convenience food. It's like a thing that you have in your, in your pantry, but it's probably not your first go-to if you right. wanted to create a meal. And on Star Trek, I think the, you kind of represent going from TOS to Enterprise, where TOS, we talk about its relationship to uh, the space program, but then by the way to Enterprise, we're going back to this idea where it's a chef with ingredients that he is cooking. So you see Captain Archer, Tripp, and Reed sit down to <coughs> grilled steaks, you know, sit down to something that is so relatable, that is so just real. From, from our perspective, you go like, yeah, of course, these guys are out in space for months or years at a time. They've probably got uh, uh, storehouses full of frozen foods that a chef can actually turn into something great. It's like being on a submarine. You know, submarines in the Navy get the best food and the best chefs because they have one of the most demanding jobs out of anybody in the Navy. So food becomes a part of that experience
0: mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely and so what we're going to do now is we're going to take a real quick break and when we come back we're going to move forward into the next generation and we're going to talk about food replicators stick around we'll be right back if you haven't heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast let me explain it's free it is creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. Alright, welcome back. And so now we've talked a lot about Enterprise era, TOS era uh, food being uh, compared to the frozen food and the canned food of the uh, 40s, 50s and 60s. Now what I want to kind of get into is we get a whole new open playground with food replication. the next generation brought us the advent of, like you say, food technology. I always call it trechnology. I find yeah. that <laughs> right. uh, just kind of a good catch all term. Yep. Uh, yep. But the, the newest technology is, is food replication. And um, what food replication seems to be is you go to a computer bank, you say, Computer, I want XYZ. Computer reformulates XYZ. You eat it, you're happy, whatever. Now, I know that me and you have had a conversation about that because one of the things that comes up with with food replication is it's replicating food to a specific set of code, a specific standard. And uh, my contention was that it would get boring. And and you agreed, you'd said it would be very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) not no same same i don't know there's a word i'm looking for and i can't find it but yeah but like it would be the same thing every single time if you went to the computer and ordered an idanian spice pudding it's going to be the same spice pudding every single time probably down to the molecule exactly the same when deanna troy goes and orders her hot fudge sundae it's always going to have the exact same amount of hot fudge the exact cherry in the middle it's all going to be same, same, very homogenous, I guess, is the word I was looking for.
1: Yeah. So the the replicator is, is so many good questions. I mean, uh, look, other than a transporter and the technologies are related, but other than mm-hmm. a transporter, that is probably the most desired Star Trek technology. And and we kind of, you know, we play with that term fast and loose today. Like, oh, we're so close to a replicator what with having f- printing it's like no no no, no. that that's that's not what this is you know mm-hmm. a, a replicator infers that you have a you have an original able to create a molecular pattern well an, uh, an atomic pattern of that thing and then the computer is able to recreate that thing from an atomic level out of nothing Out of energy. It's literally converting energy into matter. And then that matter is non-complex enough. You know, it's not creating living beings. And there are certain limits on what it can create or not create. But food is well within its abilities. Right. So to me, it sounds like, you know, you uh, say you've got a chef back on Earth who is just doing a knockout job of something. You go, wow, okay, that chef creates the best cheesecake I have ever had. So we're gonna scan that pattern at an atomic level, then that becomes a recipe that gets uploaded into a rep. So anybody who goes to the right replicator and calls up that recipe, they're getting the exact reproduced, recreated uh, version of that cheesecake from an atomic level up So it never changes. There there is no variable within that at all. And you may say to yourself, like, wow, well, if I think about the best meal I've ever had, if I could have that exact meal reproduced, that sounds great. I I think it sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Like (laughs) You know, like on some level, there's something cool about the idea. So uh, when we had this conversation before, the example I brought up was like, Okay, my mom's mac and cheese is one particular way, and I like her mac and cheese a lot. So if I want to have a taste of home, if I want to have that recipe exactly the way my mom made it, cool. That gets scanned into the replicator, and then the replicator can reproduce that anytime I want perfectly. Okay, but there's a million other mac and cheese recipes out there, and a lot of those are very good too. Mm-hmm. So, does that mean then that I need to pull through a million different recipes and then just keep recreating those? Or is the replicator smart enough to be able to introduce variables that make sense? And that's, it, you know, would it be the extent that the replicator could go like, oh, okay, anytime one person tries to recreate the same exact recipe, there will always be variables in there. There might be minor variables when it comes to the amount of an ingredient or the quality of an ingredient, or minor variables like how the oven was heating itself at the time that it was cooked, or just variables based on the the type of dish that it was cooked in. So can follow a recipe as much as you want but you will never ever as a human be able to reproduce it exactly the same right so if that replicator was smart enough it could introduce those variables it could you know it could take a pizza and just like slightly scorch one end of the crust a little more than the other end of that crust like that's what you want that's what Italians want out of pizza they want the variables of that burnt crust that's going to be a little bit different every single time, you know? I agree. Yeah, or here's the other big question. Is the replicator smart enough then to actually synthesize a recipe to go, oh, okay, here are the things that make this recipe great. Here are the things that make this recipe great. Now I'm going to get creative and actually come up with something new. So then the replicator becomes a chef as opposed to just, making tiny technical variations on a standard recipe that you've already got.
0: Now, that's an interesting concept. I really kind of like that idea because as a chef, what I tend to do is if I'm looking to create my own version of something, I'll create three or four different, I'll use three or four different recipes to find a reference point and be like, okay, well, here are the commonalities between all of these dishes. Here's what's different between all of these dishes. So those differences are where I can find, where I get to play, where I get mm-hmm. to interpret the dish from my own way. And so uh, once you have the commonalities out of the way, like I said, if you, if the, like you said, if the computer has uh, 10,000 recipes for macaroni and cheese, the computer is gonna have that logic capability to go, okay, well, here's all of the common ingredients. Here's all the commonalities. Now here are the cheese variables. Now, here are the oven variables, you know, and be able to kind of, I I really like that idea. I really do. (laughs) One of the things. Hey, hey, look,
1: I'll I'll make it even more complicated for you. So one of the best, most memorable meals I ever had at Disneyland was the the first time I got to to Club 33, and it was Mm. right before they did their remodel. So it was right before they closed the old trophy room, and they had a a Christmas buffet dinner is set up in there. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of these like miles long Vegas style buffets. It was very, very small. Just do a few key dishes and do them incredibly well. And I'm telling you, man, they had a mac and cheese bar that would blow your mind because <laughs> it's like the cheeses were incredible. Here's something you'd go through and you'd pick, okay, like, I want some fresh peas and lump crab meat and then, you know, top it with a little dollop of caviar and sour cream. I mean, it was <laughs> like, so if I had a replicator that can start cranking out that, okay, <laughs> sign me up. Sign me no, up. No, no, yeah.
0: for sure. And and we talked a lot about uh, uh, trying to find ways to, to get what you want as a crew member. What we talked about last time and what I'm going to kind of, uh, too long, didn't read kind of the, the short end of it, but uh i one of my favorite things to create one of my favorite dishes to cook is my lasagna it's a recipe that i've built up and developed over the last 25 years of my life uh, mm. and so it's something i'm really well versed with and well I, I know how to make my lasagna inside now yeah what i would want i've never seen another lasagna like my lasagna so if i were to go to the ship's computer and say C- computer give me a lasagna Uh, it's good it wouldn't be what I was looking for and so we were talking about the homogenous nature of of creation if the computer didn't have that kind of variable in it Uh, and and one of the things that I'd come up with was uh, in my estimation what I would do is I would recreate using the computer all of the key ingredients for my lasagna and then create it from scratch and then what you do is you have the computer scan that and when now every time the computer you say computer I want lasagna it knows who it's talking to obviously so it's going to go okay well this is this is his interpretation of lasagna this is what he's looking for boom here we go right you wouldn't get that you wouldn't get that variation but you'd get that that comfortable
1: right 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 yeah and I think that raises another really interesting question it's like okay if the computer, if the replicator can uh, can basically pull like a blue apron, you know, it's sending <laughs> you the ingredients that you need to then actually cook the thing. Right? So I know my recipe, I know how I want it to, be, but I, I also want to be a part of the process. Right. And that's sort of like the luxury of the 24th century presented as Star Trek, is that you've you know your basic needs are taken care of you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep you don't have to worry about having enough money for food or anything like that. so the the needs are taken care of so then i actually get to choose the things i do to spend my time and and cooking that relationship that you have with food is a really a thing i think to most people and it's mm-hmm. probably Uh, a human thing that won't go away, even presented with the convenience of just calling something up. So like maybe, you know, maybe three or four nights out of the week, I go to my replicator and just say, you know, make me a burger or whatever I want. And then the computer, boom, it just spits that out and I eat it. But a few nights a week, I I actually want to create it. I I, I want the process. I want my hands to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said that it, it tastes better when you've made it It tastes better when somebody's made something with love you
0: know and And i think i think cisco was doing that a lot in deep space nine trying to set the the family table for him and jake and 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 i think that's why we see a lot of scenes because we know uh cisco's father owns a restaurant cisco's in in new orleans and uh, uh i think being the son of someone who is so heavily involved in food and in the restaurant industry, you equate family time with cooking, family time with food. Right. And and so I think that's a large portion of what he was trying to do uh, with Jake, was trying to add that little bit of stability. Like you said, three, four nights a week, you know, add that in and, and do a little uh, etouffee at home. Or or yeah. uh, what did we decide he was making that last time? Uh well, some I, so, kind of shrimp dish
1: well he one time that he was doing you know blackened redfish and it looked mm. nothing like blackened redfish <laughs> like okay that's a dish that became popular in the 80s uh, from k paul's restaurant paul prudhomme the late great paul prudhomme i love so paul by, prudhomme oh yeah so by the 90s we all knew what blackened redfish looked like but clearly on Star Trek they just did not care <laughs> you know.
0: plus uh, so. we talked about this last time too where is the ventilating to because if you've ever blackened anything and, and, and me personally yeah. catfish yeah. I've done mahi mahi I've done redfish yeah. the creation of all of that the oils and mm-hmm. the spices creates a hell of a lot of smoke oh yeah and these quarters are not generated to have a hood vent above you know there's no kitchen really i don't he's like basically cooking this on a hot plate yeah so where's all this smoke going if you're blackening something there cisco where's it going
1: exactly but (laughs) see that that speaks to the experience of food being a historical thing and a cultural thing and an emotional thing you know he's Benjamin Sisko is there asking the replicator to make ingredients that then he pans into and have this this familial Experience with with his son or with guests, you know, do that very often with guests. His father Joseph Sisko at the the restaurant in New Orleans Presumably goes out to get fresh ingredients, you know, we see him in Oh gosh, I can't. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of the episode, but uh, beginning of, of season four, he goes out to ingredients that he brings back to his restaurant, mm-hmm. and um, I, those presumably again are grown and harvested by people who have chosen to do that with their lives, and they don't have to because you've got replicators that can make food that will keep you perfectly healthy. Uh, but for whatever reason they've decided to do this and then Joseph Sisko gets to you know prepare creatively with those ingredients for his audience for people who then decide to come to a restaurant to have what he specifically is pre- as opposed to staying at home and punching it into a replicator right so yeah the, I, I think they they're interested in what I'm interested in which is that, process of discovery and surprise when it comes to food like I, I i don't particularly care necessarily for what i can do or or to have the same meal over and over again i want to be surprised by a chef who is the master of his or her craft
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. absolutely and then i think uh like you say it becomes uh, an exploration a discovery less so uh, i mean because like you say. There's there's people who will cook for the love of cooking. There are people who will grow for the love of growing. Farm for the love of farming. So you're going to find these people that do what they do uh, because they enjoy it. Because it brings them peace. Because it brings them calm. And there are going to be people like you and I who like to go to different places and just explore food. I, I, I One of my favorite things is to go to a... A restaurant i've never been to and just look at the menu and just say okay we're gonna go with this first time and, and if it's bad okay it's bad you come back another time get something else but yeah uh i, I, food, I probably somebody roulette.
1: Gets, i probably get more worked up about this than i should but <laughs> <laughs> so when I go to a restaurant, like, I, I totally understand when I go to a restaurant and there are people who have allergies or very specific food needs. And they ask, like, hey, you know, respectfully, can you just sort of like, can you leave out this or do whatever? Like, that, that's fine. I, I absolutely right. get that. But when there is a special on the menu, when there's something that a chef has created on a menu... And you go, I want that. I want you to substitute this for that. I want you to leave out this. I want you to add this other thing. I want extra. Of it. It's like, stop it. That that chef. That's not the
0: special anymore. No, no, no.
1: no. That chef came with that thing. I would have tried that version of that thing. Exactly. Because I would be respectful enough of, of their art and their skill to go like, oh, okay, here's what they came up with. Now. I I may not love it, or I may end up being surprised, and then that becomes a new favorite. That's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah, that's how I discovered Thai food, just randomly, because I'd always loved Japanese food, Chinese food, Mm -hmm. but I'd never really delved into Thai or Vietnamese, and uh, just random. Someone, uh, one of my friends took me to my first pho restaurant. I think this is probably Uh, around uh, 15, 20 years ago. mm Mm-hmm. And I'd never had pho. I was from the middle of Colorado. There really wasn't much of a Vietnamese community there. So I, I had no experience with it. Uh, and he's like, okay, we're going to go here. And I'm like, all right, fine, whatever. And, he's, and I pick up the menu and he takes it from me. He says, no, let me do it. <laughs> and he sit That's there the and best. he he orders everything in Vietnamese. I have no idea what's coming for me. And wow. so they set down my first bowl of pho in front of me, and it's just this massive, earthy, brothy experience. Oh, and it's just, man. Yes. I, I am a convert. I love pho. It's one of my favorite things. But that, that uh, is
1: uh, that's like my go-to. If you know, if I ever have a, a cold coming on or something, like, I start to feel a little under the weather. pho is the thing that will make me feel better. No a question. little
0: little chili paste in there to oh. open up the sinuses. And
1: yes, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's interesting that um, it kind of makes me think about my, my journey and the places that I live. So I grew up in Alabama, and there's there's actually, in Birmingham, a, a, a real burgeoning scene over the last 30 years, I would say. We have a James Beard award-winning restaurant uh, there, uh, owned by Frank Stid, who actually owns a, a handful of restaurants there. Uh, but I love... The, the roots of southern food uh, and uh, going from Alabama into Louisiana and Georgia and Tennessee and all the variations around there but then it went to New York and New York of course is, was the food capital of the US you can get anything and everything um, but like in New York there's a killer Chinese restaurant on every block you know, it doesn't matter. You know, places that are $5 a plate or $50 a plate, they're all killer, right? Then I moved to Chicago. That was not the case. Chicago, another great food town, but their go-to sort of uh, Asian cuisine was Thai. So I got introduced to Thai food, and same thing, like the cheapest most amazing Thai food, but then also the most expensive and incredible Thai food there. So that was like a whole other level of introduction. In L.A. now, neither of those things, I mean, they're around, but Chinese food on the West Coast, nearly as good as on the East Coast. But Korean, massive Korean population mm-hmm. in uh, in L.A. And I've been lucky that in each of those places that I've been able to talk to somebody who's a local who knows a thing and just say, all right, take me to this place and go. Just like you you hit the menu, just top to bottom, you pick it, I am in your hands. You tell me and, what
0: to eat and I'll eat it.
1: Yes, and inevitably it's great.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think that's how I discovered Dim Sum too. So. Oh,
1: yes. <laughs> oh, man, I missed Dim Sum so much. <laughs> uh,
0: all right, well, we're going to take one more quick break and then we are going to come back and... Kind of wrap things up with John, and we're going to talk about uh, Star Trek delicacies. We'll be right back. Voting isn't just going to the polls on Election Day. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are available to more voters and are growing in popularity. How to Vote, a tool created by Democracy Works, breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Democracy Works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is easy to use and helps folks from all over the country overcome many of the process barriers to voting. Democracy Works is committed to helping you vote, no matter what. You can sign up for election reminders, see what's on your ballot, Get step-by-step assistance requesting your mailing ballot, explore your options for returning your voted mail ballot, check your voter registration status, find your polling site, and make sure you have the appropriate ID. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. All right, welcome back. So now one of the things that we didn't talk about yet and one of the things i wanted to cover is uh, the foods that we are presented in star trek now Uh, things like from uh, the next generation up uh, we're less into food cubes and we're more into the alien culture the alien foods and a lot of these foods uh, circle around anything that looks or can be made to look exotic Like you say, a lot of, like, dragon fruit and star fruit and uh, things that maybe people don't know. I I doubt they're going to do durian because, as we said, that would clear a set. Um, (laughs) But we have things like, and a large part of that comes towards the Klingon cultures. And I'm not sure if that was because of our exposure to the Klingons in uh, TNG with Worf and and, and all the storylines involving him. Or whether we just owe it to the fact that they were kind of just the ever-present Alien presence, uh, but we had a lot of exposure to things like uh, blood wine and yeah. gach and racht and it always yeah. sounds like you're clearing your throat. Yeah, uh, but <laughs> exactly a lot of yeah. these live and wriggling and and uh, animated uh, kind of foods. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we talked last time about uh, like for uh, gach's close up. Gach is always just like a plate of it's a plate of worms i mean there's yeah. no getting around yeah. it it's, it's worms
1: and, and, and... They, they revisited that in uh lower decks uh, where they're they're in like they call it Kronos. they're like the klingon district on a planet and mm-hmm. uh they go to a little you know it's like klingon food counter there sure enough of gach accidentally spill it and you got ensign boimler down there picking up like these wriggling worms all over the ground <laughs> trying to put them back in the bowl so that this is like that is now an embedded part of star trek lore uh, giving, right. uh, gach a, as a thing which is it, it, that's very cool and you know they always go for things that just look exotic so if you've got plates with things with like octopus tentacles and you, you know various of crawfish heads and yeah yeah fish heads and various crustaceans whatever but then you got worms um, sure now what's interesting is that I think the more sophisticated we get the more exposure we all in the world have to other cultures foods maybe those things stop to be, stop being so exotic so so weird, you know. Uh, there are plenty of cultures that eat bugs and that eat uh, grubs and and other things that are maybe not common in, in a you know Western diet. Uh, right. But it's not to say that they couldn't be at some point in the future. Uh, so yeah, with, with Klingons, you, you see Gah, which is worms, and very often on screen, it, it would be thing from noodles dyed different colors to like I, I think literally they used gummy worms at one point <laughs> uh, on, on screen just to see if you have an actor putting it in their mouths and um, uh, you mentioned ra, which I thought was really cool because I swear the first time I saw it, it was slices of campio which is a Japanese potato starch and you, mm-hmm. you, you go get it in a Japanese market. Sometimes it's a, uh, white-ish or translucent. Other times, and the one they use on Star Trek, is sort of like a light gray with little black speckles in it, and it's very neutral, and it's kind of got a jiggly, gelatinous, uh, but, but dense texture to it. So you could slice it, you could stir it you can eat it cold. You, you, know, you do a lot of things with it. It's just potato starch, but it Mm -hmm. looks cool. It it looks exotic. You know, for a prop master who's putting this together in 1991 or 1995 or whatever, and in L.A., they go down to a Japanese market and they just go like, I'm sure most of our audience hasn't seen this. Let's go with it. We'll we'll make (laughs) it look exotic. But fast forward 25 years, 30 years, and, you know, it, it... it's probably something a lot more common.
0: See, and, and I think we're getting a lot of um, different, like you said, variable tastes in what we, what we consume as a culture. Now, we're ending up in a lot of different places with uh, plant-based proteins and things like that. And so uh, technology with food is always really, really important. But one of the things like we talked about last time is... There's a lot of people who eat things like crickets for protein because there's not a big, yeah. huge protein source uh, where they're at. And I still have not uh, brought myself to consume a cricket. Um, <laughs> I, I did in uh, in Mexico.
1: There was just somebody there with a bucket of you know, seasoned fried crickets. And it, it was fine. You know, it, it tastes like the seasoning and it's got a little crunch to it. I think what will be interesting is that when when it becomes mainstream that you've got chefs who for a Western palate, can really transform those ingredients into something that is approachable uh, by an audience who isn't used to that. So, you know, I imagine we'll get to a point in the future where something like a burger is made out of proteins that come from different sources. Sure. We got plant-based, but wait till we get to proteins that are not cows. Plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait until they're, you know, bug sources or <laughs> or whatever. Yeah.
0: You know, then we're gonna start sounding like the Ferengis. It's like uh, bug slug steaks and. Oh yeah, well, they, and, they get
1: uh, you know. We know that Rom will uh, you know uh, choke down a glass of uh, slug with, with glee at quarks, and then they have um, yeah the tube grubs tube grubs and mealworms yeah just mealworms yeah yeah Yeah. which again are are eaten you know in other parts of the world but yeah (laughs) no thank you uh no thank you uh i think i'm with you there
0: and then uh one of my favorite things on uh and i and i've I've spent a lot of time trying to figure this one out i know you put a lot of thought into this one too jumja sticks (laughs) i they these if, if you if ever watch uh, Deep Space Nine in particular, they have a little stall right next to Quarks, and in this little stall they're selling these what look like almost like a, a prehistoric rocket pop, but it's it's huge. The thing is like yeah. eight or nine inches tall at least and and
1: thick, thick
0: and girthy yeah. and. I don't know they never really say what a stick is and the nearest thing that i can think of is it's kind of like uh like a maple syrup or a maple kind of thing or you,
1: you get the impression that it definitely is
0: sweet it's a dessert yeah
1: yeah yeah and uh but it, it's huge so anything well, like sweet or savory, I don't know if I would want something on a stick that that's that <laughs> big. It just feels like an awful lot of commitment that you really need to get through this thing. Um, just put it
0: down after like three bites. It's like, mm, no. You, know,
1: you ever been to a state fair and like inevitably there's a place selling those giant suckers that are like the size of a dinner plate? And some kid mm-hmm. is going to talk their parent into buying that. <laughs> and yet they'll get about three licks into it and go like, okay, I can't. No, no, there's no way. And I then it's stuck to this. the
0: carpet in the backseat of your car. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the the, the, the,
1: the, the, the Jumcha stick sort of brown. And yeah, it seems like it's like, um, you know, maple syrup candy, where they make that, where it kind of has a, like a, a, a thick consistency to it. Uh, it's cool the stand that does it but it it just like wow I I can't imagine trying to get through that unless it's so light like cotton candy but it definitely doesn't look that way on screen it's so light just you know chow down on it and it it feels like you've had nothing you know that's the other that's the other promise of Star Trek is that a replicator can make you something that's incredibly decadent but not bad for you at all you know <laughs> i hope that takes. yeah
0: time. yeah because i mean most of the stuff's just made out of the same proteins right to synthesize from the same energy it's all it's, so the computer's not going to make something that's like super carcinogenic or and, and well, i think they pl- they played around with that a little bit on the orville i don't know if you watched the orville Oh, I haven't uh, seen it. Yeah, There was an episode where they found like a time capsule. And I'm sorry if I'm spoiling it for you. It was a uh, it's okay. very hilarious episode. But it was a, uh, they found a time capsule. And in this time capsule, there was, uh, from Earth, a pack of cigarettes. And so the big, uh, I forget his name, uh, the big giant security guy, uh, or not security guy. He's like, gosh, oh, I don't know. Whatever. The big hulking guy. And uh-huh. his and his partner, uh, start smoking, and they don't know any kind of thing about uh, uh, moderation. Mm. Uh, so they <laughs> right. they replicate like two at a time, and they smoke them, and they replicate another two at a time, and they smoke them, and then they kind of look at each other, and they, they replicate the biggest damn pile of cigarettes you've ever seen, and uh-huh. and so all of a sudden he's on the bridge smoking on the bridge, and all of this crap, and it's just like. I would think that the computers in Star Trek are smart enough to not really give us something that's going to kill us. You've talked about how they won't generate poisons uh, yeah, necessarily. Yeah.
1: But, but see, okay, there the, is the a question, all right? If I, if I take, uh, a, you know, Dana Troy's chocolate sundae and I say to the replicator, Ooh. this is the thing to replicate, Okay. So that replicator figures out from an atomic level up what makes that thing a chocolate sundae. So it's full of fat and sugar and, uh, you know, a little bit of caffeine in the chocolate and all the flavonoids that come along with it, you know, all that stuff. So it's got to make that. Now, all that fat and sugar is not great for me. But the computer isn't necessarily making a judgment call on how much of that I should have. The question is, is the computer smart enough to go, okay, a normal, the the original scanned version of that dessert probably not the most nutritious thing for you. However, we can alter it a little bit to get exactly the same flavor, exactly the same texture, exactly the same eating experience, but get rid of some of these factors that would be bad for you in mm-hmm. certain doses. So, I don't know. I mean, that that would be a real breakthrough because Lord knows every time we try it on Earth to replace ingredients with <laughs> supposedly better ingredients, right? It's a
0: I'm remembering specifically the Olestra disaster. Olestra, that's what I was thinking (laughs) of, yeah. Not a good idea. No. And and just as a point of reference, I have uh, one of the Star Trek cookbooks in front of me here. Oh, nice. And uh, they do have a recipe for Jumja Sticks, so if you're curious as to what that recipe would entail. Oh, do tell. It is uh, water, sugar, treacle, and golden syrup.
1: All right, so it's sugar, it's sugar, sugar, and sugar. Yeah, so you just make, together. Yeah.
0: A, I'm gonna see if you can see this here. Probably not. It's eh, just a lollipop. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, uh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. But but, but those aren't
0: no, no tiny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's like the size of a half dollar, as opposed to like a brick of that <laughs> stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> just imagine how much that weighs. Just, yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, where I've been going, and it's kind of like I like to see. Uh, technology in our everyday lives kind of start to mimic technology from Star Trek. That's something that we've had from start to finish with Star Trek. We have a very uh, large history of scientific minds who watch Star Trek and get ideas and base these ideas and developments around what they saw in Star Trek. The tricorder, the flip phone, uh, Bluetooth technology, and now I think we're in the very early stages. Like you said, 3D printing is not the same as food replication however it is giving us a way to synthesize different proteins in a different way to manually create things that weren't there before out of something that we went out of thought about now it's not the greatest i know that they've used it to replicate burgers and steaks at certain points and that people have tried them and they've been like okay that's okay you know we're getting there and right. I think we've seen with the advent of a lot of plant-based technology uh, in regards to meat substitution as well. I've tried a lot of those just out mm-hmm. of curiosity. I'm not a vegetarian by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but I do like new technology. And this is food technology, and it's very interesting to me. Yeah. So it's interesting to see where we're headed, uh, whether that's because of influence by science fiction or by technology or technological advancement, or whether it's because... Uh, we might be killing our planet and need to figure out new ways to do things. One way or another, I really enjoy the fact that we're we're starting to move in a new direction that emulates uh, something that I love very clearly, is which is Star Trek. So, yeah. 100. Any mm-hmm. any final thoughts on the food matters?
1: Uh, not particularly. I mean, I agree with you that, that I think we're at this very interesting place now where um, the technology sort of has to answer these existential questions about uh, where we get our food, uh, how it's distributed, um, what it does to the people who eat it, you know, um, we, we hopefully are getting to a place where uh, you know you see these sort of like like plant based meat substitutes sure it's uh, for vegetarians who want that that is great there's also a huge benefit then uh we 're not relying purely on the harvesting of stock to feed a you know booming population and mm-hmm. the, there are ways to to make these foods healthier for the people who eat them but there's a lot of benefit to this as well. At the same time, we have to be, and sensible about our technologies too, you know, because every so often a technology comes along that seems like the answer to, the question, and only later do we realize the uh, the downsides of using that technology. Uh, again, you mentioned one just a moment ago that was very short-lived, Astra seemed like wow. Great way to eliminate uh, fat from people's diet or reduce the amount of fat that people eat. Oh, oops, it's actually terrible for the people who eat it and has all these very unpleasant side effects. <laughs> so, yes, we won't get yeah. into the
0: unpleasant side effects. Google yeah, it if yeah, you want. But it's yeah, look
1: it up. Yeah.
0: Safe search that. Yeah. But, uh, well, John, I want to really thank you for coming back, not just to talk about food, but to talk about food again yeah uh, hey <laughs> we'll, we'll make it a regular thing uh, absolutely okay. i mean i have no i no problem talking to you about anything truck related or otherwise i really enjoy your company and uh i i'm thrilled that we get a chance to have uh conversations and uh uh standing date whenever i get into la we got to find some food
1: oh you got it i i know a or two so i, I imagine
0: uh, you would we'll make that happen but uh, john champion i want to thank you and for all of the listeners will you give them a bit of a rundown on where they can find what you do
1: sure uh best place to look for me would be at podcast.roddenberry.com um i co-host and co-produce mission log and mission log live i produce the trek files hosted by larry and then we have multiple other shows under the roddenberry banner so, um, and from that page, you, you can find our, you know, Twitter and Facebook and other ways to, uh, to interact with us personally. If you're looking for me um, on Twitter, I'm at DVD Geeks. So uh, that was my old show. I know that DVDs are so passe, but uh, that, was, <laughs> that was my old show. So that's where I am talking about mostly non-Trek things. So you can find me there.
0: Wonderful. Well, John, I want to thank you again, and I want to thank you all for listening into another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, once again, if you want to look for any of the places that we are available, uh, Stitcher, Google, Apple, Spotify, you can find all of the links to anywhere that we're located on our anchor page, anchor.fm forward slash Fuel Your Fandom, and you could find us on Facebook at Fuel Your Fandom or Facebook.com slash Fuel Your Fandom. So. I want to thank you all for listening, and I want to keep reminding you all that everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care.